just want to take a moment to thank everyone who's listened or downloaded or shared our podcast so far. It's amazing to see people's response and to just be a part of this conversation. And I feel like I'm on this journey with a bunch of people now. If you want to help us out, continue to listen, of course, but please leave us some reviews. That's the number one thing in the internet world that helps people find our podcast. Share this podcast with a friend. We're going to do a poll on Instagram um, on Friday when this episode releases, and we're going to have a few books and ask our audience which one we should do as we are starting to plan the next season which is also kind of crazy already. We got some we got some good books coming up. Well, and should people stay tuned for further ways to support us as the holidays roll around? Ooh. And perhaps some bonus content that is premium. Yeah, a little Giving Tuesday. That'll be in the future. But also, like, maybe it's not best to speak about on this episode, considering we're talking about the prosperity gospel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, open, open your purse. We're about to talk about Joel Osteen. <laughs> I remember the day that I went into my local Christian bookstore and there was my book. You're not God! You're just a man! The Total Money Makeover book, which is sold almost The number one times. best-selling book. 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 This, no, because it's gotta read the book. Story. You gotta read the book. <laughs> this is Bad Christian Books. Welcome to Bad Christian Books, a podcast about the worst bestsellers Christianity has to offer. I'm Mary Hall, a person of faith and a current churchgoer. I am Sammy Coliato, also a person of faith and not a current churchgoer. Uh, this is also maybe a good note. We are operating off of very little sleep. A funny thing happens when we operate off of little sleep. I get very philosophical, and I, don't, I can't speak for you, Mary. What happens to you on little sleep? Uh, my words just like go down the drain. I get, um, I get a lot of brain fog. You know, like add extra letters into things which actually is really bad because until I started reading this book I thought the topic of the book the person Joel Osteen's name was Joel Olstein with an L and I'm just like very paranoid that I'm gonna say his last name wrong. I called Dave Ramsey Gordon Ramsey so I think we're you know. Yeah that's true. Okay Samuel what do you know about Joel Osteen? In one sentence. He scams old ladies. Oh. That's my image of him. Um, he his, his book is at Target, and he's got a smile that's a mile. That is, that is very true. Yeah, so today we're talking about The Power of I Am by Joel Osteen. Um, full disclosure, I want to say that like I chose the best book because I'm just brilliant at knowing which of his books are the best, but actually it was a total fluke. Or perhaps I'm manifesting the right things because I was just in the library and it's the book of his that was in the library. But, and this ties into like the scamming older women thing. This is actually one of his most popular books um, slash sermons because all of his books were sermons that he like made longer because he was promoted by a very specific celebrity who said that this sermon changed her life. Um, and Samuel, I, I sent you a link. Is it going to be Oprah? We shall see. Uh, there, there she is. Whatever follows I am is going to come looking for you. Just really was a, was a big aha. Yeah, you know, Oprah, so many people don't realize the way they go through life. Is I think they've just been trained that way. But like you were saying, I am so tired and yes. I am unlucky and I never get any good breaks. But you know, when you speak that out, you're setting the tone for your life. 
always tell people, if you want to know what you're going to be like five years from now, listen to what you're saying about yourself right now. He talks like a supermodel. I want to know what you mean by that. <laughs> you can't go around... Ooh, that's <laughs> you can't good. go around saying all day that, you know what, I'm not attractive and I'll never get any good breaks and I'm a lousy mother. That's just going to draw in negative defeat and things that are going to keep you from God's best. Well, I, I love that whatever follows I am is going to come looking for you because whatever follows it. I, I, this just happened to me recently. I was filming uh, the movie The Butler, and I was so tired. And all day I kept saying, I'm so tired. I am so tired. I'm so... And what I realized is I was getting more and more tired. And then I thought about the sermon. I said, how can I turn this around? And for me, I can't immediately go to I am so energized because I wasn't. So I was trying to think what, so I can't go I'm so energized, I'm now lying to myself because I'm not. <laughs> but what can I use in between? So I started to say, I am looking forward to my second win. Good. I am looking forward to my second win. And it came, yeah, it came. You know, I think that's, that's true. You could say just what you said, and I am refreshed, I'm being restored, and, yes. you know, things like that. You don't have to go to the extreme. Go but... to the extreme. How did you come to that, though? What, was, what, what, what spark of God happened that made you conclude that whatever follows I am is going to come looking for you? I think sometimes we make things so complicated, but it's the simple things that, uh, that keep most people back. Oh, look at that. Uh, we we got to simplify things. Mm -hmm. Th that's a theme I'm noticing on our podcast. Well, I think it's just so important to never speak negative words about yourself, your family. You know, it may come to your mind, but don't give your words life by speaking them out. Don't ever say anything negative about yourself. You may feel it, but just, you know, zip it up and, and make those positive declarations. It takes time, though, because yes. from the time I heard the I Am sermon... I mean, I, what it did, and I'm hoping this is what's going to happen for all of you who are watching, who are here, is that you start catching yourself. Because, you know, if you're however old you are, you have the habit of feeding the negative tapes to yourself. Mm -hmm. I do too. And so when you first catch yourself doing it, you switch it, just as we've been doing here today. You switch the I am. This is so L.A. <laughs> I feel like I'm at, like, Erewhon right now. And it takes practice. That's why the... I declare the declarations help you get into the practice of it. Absolutely. And it's not something you go out and have to do in public. You, you get up in the morning, you're in the shower, you're driving to work saying, you know what, Lord, thank you. I'm, I'm strong. I make good decisions. I'm healthy. Just simple things like that. It's I'm just... looking forward to my future. Oprah just pointed at somebody and called them out. <laughs> yeah, I think she must have been from earlier in the, the thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All I'm perfect. looking forward to my future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Could you lead us in a few I am's today? Absolutely. Okay. Can we all stand? Can we all stand? All right, let's stand. All right. All right. Just repeat after me. I am strong. I am strong. I am healthy. I am healthy. I am confident. I am confident. I am secure. I am secure. I am talented. I am talented. I am creative. I am creative. I am disciplined. I am disciplined. I am focused. I am valuable. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am blessed. I am excited about my future. I am excited about my future. I am victorious. I am victorious. All right, how about That's really creepy. Okay, so what did you mean by he sounds like a supermodel? So when they do like Miss Universe pageants and they're like, what is your solution 
to world peace or something along those lines. And it's always just this word salad of buzzword affirmations where it's like, we're not doing this beauty pageant to get some nuanced politics. We're here to look at people. And honestly, it's the same thing with Joel and Oprah. I mean, they're, they're beautiful people who already have what they want kind of just telling you that if only you were as happy as these people after they got what they wanted you too can get what you want right yeah I mean that's that's a summation and and I I did think about like showing you the the clip of like the actual sermon but in reality what just happened is exactly what the sermon is except Oprah's not there and I think Oprah's a little bit more interesting um, I got a little nostalgic for my old, like, watching Oprah days. Oh, I know. I used to watch Oprah, like, with my mom every day. That's, like, such a core memory for me. Well, and I mean, that's part of Joel Osteen's rise to fame. I mean, he was famous before, but Oprah really platformed him at a time when, like, her platform was arguably the biggest in the world. Um, I think that... So, so what we just watched, I should probably say, it was um, an Oprah life class. It took place in 2012. <laughs> Don't distract me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just Oprah life class. Also, I could tell it was recent-ish because she was talking about Lee Daniels, the butler. It's just wild because it's such an old looking video, but that's like only 10 years ago, really. Right. It was the year after she like ended her show, but then like launched her network. But I was wondering if maybe you could describe, like, what you just watched. Like, the people and how people were reacting, the energy. I'm try- I'm like, do I let tired Samuel go wild or do I attempt to put it let in? It, let him go wild. It looked like the Hunger Games. Like, you know when they show the pageants on the Hunger Games be- in between the actual kids fighting each other? It just had this, it's this massive, massive venue that they're at. They're on a stage. And the congregation, because it is a congregation, it reminds me of like a hype and hoopla megachurch. There's a fervor to the room. It's like Oprah's the king and um, Joel is the shaman. And so she's saying what the shaman's thinking. And then the shaman sort of, you know, subtly guides her. Like she's like, because she kind of points out a hole in his prob- in his viewpoint, which is like, you can't just say I'm good if you're not good. But he kind of corrects her and he's like, well, you could say I'm better. You know, like he's he is sort of nudging her. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I I don't know if you noticed, but she goes, what big word from God did you receive to come up with this amazing thing? And he literally just says, oh, well, it's very simple. And then he like literally repeats everything he just said in a slightly different way. You're right. I miss that because I kind of zone out when he talks. But he never answered her question. No, he doesn't. I'm so glad you put Oprah on here because otherwise I would have just been like, ah, he spoke. I didn't hear it. There's times where she's almost like like a little kid or something being like, can we do the affirmations? Like she's looking to him. It feels like a magic show. Yeah, we'll link to it so people can watch it themselves. What happens like the I, I hesitate to say argument because I don't even think it's like worth the meaning of that word. But like the rhetoric that he has in that little clip is exactly what his book is. Kind of to give a slight background about Joel Osteen, this sermon, The Power of I Am, um, has been called the most popular sermon on the internet. You can watch the full sermon on Oprah.com and where it has like 
more than 4 million views. Every sermon he posts has like multiple millions of views. Their own platforms reach hundreds of millions of people around the world in a bunch of different languages. And the Joel Osteen podcast is consistently in the top five in the world. We're talking about someone who is enormous and is a much bigger personality than um, historically I think a lot of the prosperity gospel people were who for most of America for like a lot of Christian church goers was like okay that's like kind of a fringe thing and we recognize that that's not like great that's what it is whereas today one in five Americans say that they believe that if they give money to a church, they will receive blessings from God and that it's required to receive blessings from God. So, I mean, this is just a movement that has completely taken over how a lot of Western people think about what church is and what God is. And because of who I am, I did turn this into a two-parter. So we're going to kind of look at Joel and what he does as a view of like, what the prosperity looks like today, but then we're going to go back into the history books um, to talk about like how the American prosperity gospel formed um, in the next episode. And as a teaser for that, I am curious, what what year about would you say the prosperity gospel really began? So I think like you first see it really take hold in American churches in like the 1800s, late 1800s. That was my guess, but I wasn't sure. And interesting enough, like kind of the main thrust of the American prosperity gospel actually came up out of the same movement as Nazarenes came out of. (laughs) Anything in the like charismatic um, Pentecostal kind of vibe, like there was all the other churches and then there was the prosperity gospel that took like a hard left turn. So Joel Olsen says that he's not a prosperity minister, quote unquote, um... And he says this because he does not say that you have to give money to the church to receive blessings from God. Is that the definition of prosperity gospel? I always thought of it being like Christians get paid. Yeah. And I think what he's referring to is kind of when we're looking at like the history of the gospel, like a lot of the really big names, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn. A lot of them did literally say, like, give $1,000 to be healed. Mm. Like, it was very transactional. And and it is true that he, like, doesn't explicitly say that. He also, like, says, I'm not taking a salary anymore um, because he's so rich (laughs) from his book deals and his media stuff. Um, He does, like, a conference that goes around, like, the country, which is a little bit of, like, a medium true because like obviously he's using his work for the church as a platform to earn money i would assume that he's got a lot of passive income that remains even without the salary oh yeah i mean it's it's really hard like all of these guys to figure out how much he's actually worth but it's definitely in the tens of millions if not hundreds of millions and he also says that he doesn't just focus on health and wealth although he literally does Um, But that he's like, oh, well, I also talk about emotional health and family relationships and job satisfaction. That sounds like health and wealth. I mean, exactly. And and so I guess when you say, like, how would you define the prosperity gospel? To me, it is this idea that my faith can make God give me what I want. 
kind of the connection of that with a charismatic preacher who is exploiting that point of view, then uses the wealth that he exploited out of his followers to say, well, you don't have enough faith if you're not getting to where I am. That's kind of the crux of what the prosperity gospel is to me. And that to me is the wicked, wicked dark side of magical thinking. For any viewpoint, whether it's Christian or otherwise, faith is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's also a very personal thing. So if you, as a separate individual, are using a lack of results to claim somebody else doesn't have enough faith, I I can think of few things more shameful or sinister. You simply don't know. That is the nature of faith. Yeah, exactly. The level of exploitation that has happened out of this thinking, this teaching, is immeasurable within Christian culture. Like, you're breaking down their faith in God to be good despite circumstances. It is like a little bit like commenting on somebody's family situation where it's like, well, if your husband loved you, he would do this. Or if if your spouse cared for you, they would do that. And it's like, that's not your business. And God's, your relationship with God I think should be the same way. I'm very impassioned about this because I feel like I'm very susceptible to magical thinking as somebody who is very imaginative. I like to think there's a good way to go about it. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the bad way. <laughs> I mean, as well as the prosperity gospel that has been around for over a century, there is a rise of self-help gurus like Tony Robbins and like those type of figures in kind of the 70s, 80s, 90s that I think Joel Osteen has taken on what they've learned from that side of the world as well. But because of the way that prosperity gospel preachers, in my opinion, are abusing people spiritually, it just, it makes it that much more abhorrent. I wanted to kind of finish the origin story of Joel Osteen before we dive into what the book says. Samuel, I'd love it if you would read the first excerpt. And this is how he tells the story of how he became pastor of Lakewood Church. When I look back over my life, it is evident that most of the favor and most of the good breaks came to me. I didn't go after them. I was simply being my best and God did more than I could ask or think. I never thought I could stand up in front of people and minister. I spent 17 years behind the scenes at Lakewood doing the television production. I'm not bragging, but during those 17 years, I was faithful. I gave it my all. I made my father look the best I possibly could. I'd go the extra mile to make sure the lighting was perfect. Camera angles were just right. I would even go over to my parents' house every Sunday night and pick out a suit and tie for my father to wear the next day on television. My mother would say, Joel, Daddy's a grown man. You don't need to come over every week. He can pick out his own clothes. The problem is, I had seen what my father picked out before. Let's just say he liked a lot of color. I wanted that broadcast to be perfect. I wasn't looking to become Lakewood's senior pastor. I was content where I was behind the scenes. But when my father went to be with the Lord, This opportunity came looking for me. I never planned on doing it. It chased me down. God's dream for your life is so much bigger than your own. 
If you will keep being your best right where you are, you will come into favor, promotion, and opportunity bigger than you ever imagined. You won't have to go after it. It will come to you. Like a magnet, you'll draw it in. So he he got it from his dad, basically. Like, he's a Nepo baby. Right, exactly. Uh, like, several of the other people we've talked about. Um, and he talks about it in other places in the book where he's like, I just kind of, like, fell into where I am and this wasn't my plan. Literally, he worked behind the scenes. And then when his dad passed away suddenly... They asked him to be pastor. It's like the most. That That's just like, that's how they do it in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I will say uh, the Osteen family has better hair. I'm sure they'd be glad to hear that. They put a lot of work into yeah, it. Yeah, right. The inability that certain people have to like see that they had a leg up is bonkers to me. But also like this whole passage kind of is i mean playing right into what we heard him talk about in the earlier clips and basically what the premise of this book is the book is called the power of i am and this paragraph is the entire book i'm gonna read it it says here's the principle whatever follows the i am will eventually find you when you say i'm so clumsy clumsiness comes looking for you I'm so old, wrinkles come looking for you. I'm so overweight, calories come looking for you. It's as though you are inviting them in. Whatever you follow, the I am with, you're handing it an invitation, an open door, and giving it permission to be in your life. There's a grain of truth to this, though, because I suffer from negative self-talk, and it's been very helpful for me to replace the negative self-talk with either, you know, no self-talk at all, or in cases where that doesn't work, to at least have an affirmation in my own head. That has been beneficial because it changes my perspective to what I'm grateful for. We always think about bad stuff that you can't change, um, but it's nice to think about good stuff that you can't change. There is value to that. But then he's taking it, he's taking that little kernel of like, yeah, you could be cooking with that. And he's now saying like, and that's how you're going to become a multimillionaire like me, which is not even the purpose of that kind of mindset. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the other thing that he does is he says, whatever positive thought you have in your mind, God has to act on that, which means that God responds to our will which is like completely antithetical to what christians believe but also like you should believe that god is outside of like the human sphere right or it's not god it's just like this puppet master in the sky well it's so arrogant to think that god has any obligation to serve our whims now there's there's promises in scripture that he'll meet your needs but i think with that is the implication that he knows what you need better than you do so if you're not getting what you want it might not be and there, there's a danger to what i'm saying here as well and i recognize that it could be done in a problematic way but it's like if you're not getting what you want it might be a sign that it's not what you need i i think this is actually a situation where it's easier to prove god doesn't exist than he does because the vast majority of people get neither i mean 
I guess you did say tired Samuel's philosophical Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a uh, conversation I was prepared to uh, enter into. You should have heard my brain at 5 a.m. this morning. You're just like, being like, I see the sun rise, but does it truly rise? <laughs> oh, my word. I, I do think what you're saying about like the desire to have positive, to use positive affirmations, it's sometimes called. There's nothing wrong with working on feeling better about yourself and how God created you to be. But what Joel Osteen promotes is whatever you want, say that about yourself and then it will be true. It's a slight nuanced difference, but it makes all the difference in how you view God. There's a difference between, you know, affirmation and gaslighting. Like something I love about the Gospel of John is John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think that's such a cool way of looking at yourself. And I think it, it can be beneficial for Christians to see themselves that way. Um, if that was Osteen's mission, I wouldn't have an issue with the guy. <laughs> but he's he's asking John to see himself as the disciple who gets laid and paid. <laughs> well, probably not laid, but <laughs> paid. Oh, man. So everything we just talked about, you know, speaking what you want into existence, that is relying on a prosperity gospel idea that goes back to the 1800s called positive confessions. It's this idea that God only moves based on what our words say, like physically speaking words into existence is equal to faith, is equal to making God move on your behalf. But the flip side of that, which he definitely talks about in this book, is called negative confessions. And then some traditions has been called like curses. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit about a very strange, uh, I'm not sure if Joel believes this or if he's making this up, unclear, but this is kind of an example of how he's thinking about these negative confessions. He writes, Sometimes the reason a promise is being delayed is because of what we're saying. Imagine an answer is on the way. God has already dispatched the angel with your healing, your promotion, your vindication. But right before it arrives, God says to the angel, Hold on. Don't go any further. Stay right where you are. The angel replies, Why, God? This is what you promised. It's in your word. God answers, No, listen to what he's saying. He's talking about how it's not going to happen, how the problem is too big, how it's been too long, how he'll never meet the right person. Negative words stop God's promises. I wonder how many times we were just a couple months away from seeing the answer, but right before that special someone shows up, you let your guard down and start saying, oh, that's not going to happen. Wow, that's really sinister. Right. Like, God's just sitting there being, like, grading how positive you are as if there's anything he can't do. Which is, by the way, a common way I feel like a lot of these bad Christian books scam people is they posit there's some blind spot to God's abilities. Like, if you believe in an all-powerful God, it's almost absurd to have him be like, I don't know, this guy's a little too negative for me to really, you know, be omnipotent. Yeah. Well, it's also against like literally the entire bible i feel like a lot of the stories of the prophets are stories of quitters who get encouraged i mean 
you look at one of the most righteous prophets it's literally elijah telling an angel like there is nobody left who cares about god there are men coming to kill me i am the last person who's left and they're gonna get me and the angel doesn't go ah you know what you were wrong but now you're right because you were too negative he's like no you don't know the full story that was a great example um that is not in the book but that's one of my favorite stories from the Bible, by the way. That's yeah. I mean, it is a great one. We're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit more into the Old Testament because a lot of this book, the examples from the book, centers around the story of Egypt and the Israelites in the desert, um, and that whole world. He literally says on the acknowledgments page that he made all of the stories up, which is very bizarre. He writes. Some of those mentioned in the book I have not met personally, and as the son of a church leader and a pastor myself, I have listened to countless sermons and presentations, so in some cases I can't remember the exact source of a story. He tells on himself, literally pre-page one. If this was a comedian, everybody would be dragging them on Twitter for stealing jokes. Exactly. And if that was the worst, him making up stories of the book... We may not be talking about him, but this book is also, like, insanely boring. I fell asleep multiple times trying to get through it and had to force myself to read a chapter before bed every night before I allowed myself to watch Hoarders, which is my, like, guilty pleasure show of choice. That's a great fall asleep Um, show. I enjoy it. Uh, But yeah, like, it's just a book of stream of consciousness. It's like whatever comes into his brain, he says... Um, most of the stories don't have an ending where you would like find out if God came through. It just kind of ends where they say, yes, there's no structure. It sounds so avant-garde, but I know it's like the most twee corpo stuff (laughs) out there. (laughs) Well, he literally like chapter one, he just starts saying things and then the chapter ends and then chapter two, he starts saying things. He's like Kerouac. The way he writes is he has an aphorism. So some kind of like pithy phrase that like means something then he mentions an out of context bible reference and then he follows it up with a weird anecdote that sounds okay but actually proves nothing and so because i know how much you love grazing mammals samuel i am gonna have you read uh excerpt two called A Place of Abundance. The background of this is that the pithy saying in this chapter is that you need to start having a fatted calf mentality. Are you serious? Another bovine mentality? Yep. Oh. 100% serious. And I was like, I have to include this for Samuel. <laughs> so it comes from the, like, the story of the prodigal son where the brother who's good is jealous of his other brother who gets a fatted calf. And the other brother who was good only ever got a skinny goat, which like is not the point of this. Like the point he makes is not the point of the story. But anyway, like his whole thing is like, act like you have a fatted calf mentality. And then he leads into this story. When the Israelites were in the desert in the land of just enough, they got tired of eating the same thing every day. They said, Moses, We want some meat to eat out here. They were complaining, but at least for a little while, they had a fatted calf mentality. Moses thought, that's impossible. Meat out here in the desert? Steak for two million people? 
There were no grocery stores, no warehouses to buy truckloads of meat. But God has ways to increase you that you've never thought of. God simply shifted the direction of the wind and caused a huge flock of quail to come into the camp. They didn't have to go after it. The food came to them. What's interesting is that quail don't normally travel that far away from water. If there had not been a strong wind, the quail would never have made it way out there in the desert. <laughs> what am I saying? What are you saying, Joel? God knows how to get you God knows how to get your provision to you. I find myself stumbling over his words a lot because there's a weird kind of Oh yeah. They're arranged in a very He just says things. He just yeah. He's just saying things. Joel's just spitballing. No need for a new draft. <clears throat> a statistician ran some numbers. A statistic a, st- a statistician <laughs> ran Yeah, you know. Some it's ca- he's causing me to stumble. A statistician ran some numbers. Based on the size of the camp, the number of people, and enough quail to be three feet off the ground, as the scripture says, he concluded that there were approximately 105 million quail that came into the camp. Also, it's like, it's an ancient text. They just threw a number out there. That's an abundant God. He could have given them a couple of quail per person, which would have been four or five million quail. But God doesn't just want to meet your needs. He wants to do it in abundance. The question is, are you thinking, skinny goat? Or are you thinking, fatted calf? Well, Joel, I could never afford a nice place to live. Can I say this respectfully? Skinny goat. I could never send my kids to the college they really want to attend. Skinny goat. What's that like to live deliciously? I'm going to have so much fun with that in the edit, Mary. You have no idea. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I read that. I was like, oh, man, have to have to bring that out. But I mean, so what do you think, Samuel? Are you a fatted calf or are you a skinny goat? I'm a, I'm a fatted calf son and a skinny goat rising. <laughs> Actually, flip it around. I think I'm a fatted calf rising and a skinny goat, skinny goat son. Because people look at me and they're like, this guy just nothing phases him and then they like talk to me and they're like that is the darkest thing i've ever heard somebody say and i'm like i'm so sorry i didn't sleep last night (laughs) oh man and see like i have no idea what you're even talking about because i don't know anything about astrology and i'm like a very bad millennial woman for that well Um, it's funny because i feel like joel vibes with tarot and astrology in ways that i'm not even sure he knows like i have i do the labyrinthos uh tarot app on my phone and next to each of the cards, they will give affirmations or it'll say stuff like, I am grateful for what I have or like, I am loved. And it is so similar to the language that he is using. And uh, to be clear, I think it's hokey in both scenarios. I just want to see what the cards say. So the context of this story, right, is the Israelites were slaves in Egypt God called Moses and was like, go save your people. Moses did that. There were all the plagues. This is where Passover starts. And then they go into the wilderness and then they have like a bunch of people in the wilderness who are like, let me eat. The number of times before this and after this where the Israelites like constantly say, I wish we would have died as slaves in Egypt. And why did you bring us here to die? And, like, he even writes here that, like, 
Moses, we want meat. And he says that, like, that's a fatted calf mentality. But, like, literally, they weren't saying, like, oh, we want meat, we believe. They were saying, literally, we're going to die because we're in a desert and there's no meat. Well, I would argue the pinnacle of this so-called fatted calf mentality is what Moses was treated to when he left the mount and saw that they had built a giant calf to manifest calf meat. Like, they built an idol of a fatted calf because they didn't believe. I I just, to me, the whole mentality being everything thing falls apart immediately when you like take idolatry into account i hadn't thought about that aspect of the story but you're right that happens not that long after this and it's like to me that shows a much deeper problem that they had as a group of survivors which is like we're not even fully behind our leader well and exactly like literally the story of moses getting called from the time moses is called by the burning bush to his death, liter- through like the rest of the Old Testament, over and over again, it's people being negative and God being like, be quiet, I'm going to do it anyway. It's the whole story of Jonah. Like Jonah's just like, this is a bad idea. This isn't going to work. He ends up in Nineveh and nobody dies. I mean, literally, like Moses says multiple times when he's called, he says, who am I? I have a weak tongue. No one's going to listen to me because I murdered a guy. And God's response is, he says his name, I am who I am. And if you notice the similarities to the title of this book and that, um, we're going to come back to that later. Well, that was my first thought because I thought that was what the book was going to be about. Like, he's like, God says, I am who I am. So what if we adopted the same mentality? But no, it's like, I am rich. That's not being who you are. That's being what you think you should be. I also liked how at the end, he just has this weird anecdote about an unnamed statistician. Wow, that is hard to say. It's a hard word. (laughs) Some math person who does calculations based on some unknown formula that proves that the Israelites should have were right to complain in the first place. I don't even know how he did the math because no one knows how many Israelites were in the desert at this point because, like, um, Exodus contradicts numbers. It's almost like they had to eyeball it or something. Yeah, right. Okay, so just to prove that the Old Testament is literally about people having negative confessions and God providing for them anyway, um, we're going to jump to what Joel Osteen says about the story of Gideon. And that... Is the next little part that I'd love for you to read, Samuel. Very interesting. I find the book of Judges fascinating. Let's do this. Just to clarify, this is the Bible. I'm having you read the Bible story, not what Joel Osteen says. Alrighty, this is from Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Uh, This is a little eerie to read right now. They came up with their livestock and their tents like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. 
the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Yeah, Gideon's kind of like, okay, this sounds a little too good to be true. I mean, he literally says all the things that, at this point, Joel had spent about 80 pages telling me not to say out loud or God's going to stop the blessing angel from coming to me. He's being a bit of a skinny goat <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. In the, in the book, Joel stops after halfway through when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's the end of the story in the book. And then Joel says, if you allow the wrong thoughts to play in your mind, you can have the talent, the opportunity, the strengths, and the looks. But like Gideon, you'll make excuses and talk yourself out of it. You may think you're ordinary, but God sees the DNA of a champion. Wait, did he read the story? Right? <laughs> so yeah, he says, start seeing yourself as a mighty hero. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like not to go extreme here, but it it would not it would be similar to him using Jesus asking God to save him from having to make the sacrifice, and then being like, "Are you going to be like Jesus and give up?" And it's like, Joel, Jesus died. Right. Like he did the thing he didn't want to do. Like, well, and Gideon is known for being the guy who did it. Right. And and literally, Gideon goes on after this passage to test God at least two more times. And, like, literally the entire section of this story, he's constantly being like, God, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. And then God says, suck it up. And then he does. Like, he never has, he never says good things into existence. Which, by the way, God all does. the heroes of the Old Testament are negative, like, are negative about themselves with maybe the exception of David. Like, Moses, don't do it. I'm not the guy. Jacob literally wrestles with God. Yes. And it's like, you know, God injures him after that. But it's almost like him being like, good fight, man. What the Old Testament shows, without a doubt, even the most cursory understanding of it you could have, is that the Israelites consistently over years were people who did not have faith, who complained, who sinned, who did X, Y, and Z, and God remained faithful. And so to end halfway through and then distort it and say oh well you can also just speak things into existence i mean it's like the most egregious way to talk about the bible i mean i, I and also it's just like how stupid do you think we are as well because it's just so dumb <laughs> i'm totally with you it's 
it really it to me it reeks of the days in which the church did not allow the bible to be translated because joel is counting on you not knowing how those stories go for his points to stick you have to wonder in the days when there was no translation of scripture that the common person could read when literacy levels were low what kind of stretches were leaders making then? I mean, we know they were doing indulgences. You give money to the church in order to have favor with God. And, and I also want to point out, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, there is a hair of truth in this. You know, like you can definitely look at the story of, Gid- of Gideon and be like, the Lord says you're a mighty warrior, even though he's like, no, I'm not. And even though like Gideon literally had done nothing in his life except be ordinary to that point. So this idea of like, believing and living into who God says you are, even if you don't see it. There's there's a kernel of truth there. Well, I, I'm feeling so glib today because I'm like, the kernel of truth is that song from the Prince of Egypt where it says, look at your life through heaven's eyes. Like the way you see yourself might not be the full story. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I think the piece that Joel misses is like, you can say positive things or have affirmations or, you know, have better talk about yourself but it needs to be rooted in what god says about you and what god wants it's not just like whatever you want and when you turn those on their head you know it does distort the character of god um if you're a christian it distorts the gospel that you say you believe in because it puts you in the driver's seat um and i think whether you're a christian or not the giant red flag here is it puts enormous power into the hands of humans, which we're going to dive way deeper into next week, but has led to unspeakable abuses. Well, and we should say too, enormous power in the hands of humans that are benefiting from an already power imbalance. I mean, it's, it's right. no mistake that Joel is sitting on Oprah's stage and selling the snake oil to people. There was a really good quote I read in a Financial Times article that that quoted a social scientist, and this is the quote. Preachers like Osteen know how to work the modern marketplace. They are like the mega mall of religion with an Amazon account added on. They are at the cutting edge of consumer trends. Wow, that's, that's eerie and it's dead on. To me, it shows that there is, in fact, a God at play with these things. But it is not the God of, you know, Abraham and Isaac. It's not the God of the apostles. It is the God of the free market, this thing we call the invisible hand. It's something you can't see, but people still appeal to. And that we talk about the golden calf. I think this is the same God as that. Well, and I, I, I think kind of, as we've said in like almost every episode, it, it creates a new form of legalism, legalism through simplification. Yeah. It puts all of the impetus on the individual to have faith in the right way, say the right words, and never fail in that as a way to meet God when the, the Bible lays out fairly clearly, like, faith is not supposed to be based on what you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always the tricky thing, right? Because there's the concept of faith without works is dead. But I do think that prosperity Christians in America really throw that in your face and that it becomes only about works because because nuance is dead. Yeah. Well, it becomes about works for their congregants, but very little work 
for themselves. And so that was kind of the end of like what I wanted to say about this book. I, I'll be very happy to return it to the library. But I, I kind of wanted to dig into a little bit of that of like, what are the works that Joel Osteen has? Like, what is the fruit? The first is that he has zero financial accountability. This probably surprises no one, but Ministry Watch, basically they rate different churches and denominations on a confidence score of like how confident a donor could be that their funding will go to the right place or, you know, whatever. Would you like to guess what percentage out of 100 they got? For for Joel Osteen? Um, for Joel Osteen Lakewood Church. I'm going to say, honestly, I'm going to go big and say zero. Yeah, he didn't get to zero, but he is at a solid six. I, six is very close to zero where percentages are concerned. <laughs> six is very close to zero. <laughs> um, yeah. It says, does the board have more than two non-independent members? The answer is no. Fun fact, he does not have a board. There is no board for Lakewood Church. There's a bunch of stuff about the board that's all wrong. Does the organization file a Form 990 and make it available to the public? The answer is no. Does the organization have an audit or review that is available on the website? No. Is the CEO president's compensation, that's Joel Osteen, within one standard deviation of the median compensation? No. Does the organization operate at a net profit in the most recent year? Yes. So that would be like a pro for them. In the past five years, has the organization been free of any lawsuits or administrative actions? No. So, I mean, and it goes on and on, but basically they have an F. That should be a red flag in and of itself uh, as nonprofits. I mean, the very lack of some, like, here, listen, I don't like bureaucracy any more than the next guy, but a lack of oversight is what I'm hearing by no church board. That's bad. The church is a nonprofit status. That means they don't have to pay taxes in the same way that like everyone else does. With that status, there is an understanding of an amount of oversight that exists as a legal status, which they do not have. And then you add on that they are prosperity gospel preachers. That money is not going into the work of the Lord. Yeah, it's complicated because I think separation of church and state is good. But I think that the tax exempt status has created such a loophole where it's like, what does America do to really enforce that? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Because it's like Scientology right. exists. You know, it's, I have friends who are ex-Mormon. They told me how much money the Mormon church, which is hemorrhaging members, is sitting on. It's insane. I mean, they, they just have a war chest the likes of which Fortune 500 companies would kill for, literally. Right. The next little piece of fruit that I was going to talk about kind of ties into that. So in March 2023, there was a widespread scandal with Hillsong Church. They're based in Australia, where Australia is much better than the U.S. at investigating nonprofits. Basically, Hillsong, which has this huge brand, they have these like conferences all over the world. They had this scam where like mega church pastors could buy their way into this list that they had called the Hillsong families. These are like massive donations coming out of individual churches. Joel Osteen was one of the people on here, although it's not clear whether he paid or he was already on the list prior to like the scam happening. But in return for those donations, 
the pastors would get perks like being invited to speak at Hillsong's events where at those events they could have these like huge honorariums and then like profit from like selling their merchandise these pastors would be invited to luxurious over-the-top Hillsong family retreats several times a year we know about this because the Australian government is investigating specifically this scam But the majority of the pastors here are from American churches. So besides just the lack of financial accountability, I wanted to dig a little bit into two incidents that happened with Joel Osteen in 2017 that I think really show that while he claims the money that you give to the church is going to help people in need, that may not really be where the money is going. Both of these events happened in like August, September of 2017, back to back. The first was his response to the neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville. While I think in general, it's probably a good thing when churches sometimes try to stay out of politics. In this case, like when something's just so obviously wrong, even the most trying to take it easy mega church pastors spoke out against what happened. Joel Osteen did not. He first posted a Facebook post in 2017 that is still up and it reads, One of the biggest challenges we face is getting along with people because everyone is different. We have different personalities, different temperaments, we come from different backgrounds. When someone doesn't agree with us, it's easy to get in conflict with them, to argue, to try to straighten them out, to prove our point. No, you have to be the bigger person. Just because they're doing wrong doesn't mean you have to engage. Wow, that is so sinister. Especially when you consider, like, this. these protests happen because people at a black church were murdered by a white supremacist terrorist. Uh, A woman died in the protest when a white supremacist drove his car into the crowd. I mean, this isn't as simple as a disagreement. And then he has the gall for his tone to be scolding. And it's very vague. Uh, We don't know who, but we can kind of guess who he's scolding here. Well, yeah. I think people rightly got very offended. So I just bring that up to say that, like, I think that really put him in the spotlight in secular spaces. He never wants to say anything negative. His whole message is about placating people. Well, and there's a kind of fear in his attitude. I actually see this interpersonally when there are people who cannot stand to say anything negative. It's usually because they're deadly afraid that that negative thing is the truth. The negative thing doesn't have to be the truth, but usually the truth is much more complicated than light or dark. So that was obviously not great. Right after that, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, the city in which his church is. It was one of the most extreme rainfall events in U.S. history. Um, Some areas of the city had 50 inches of rainfall. Thousands were displaced. If you talk to a Texan about Joel Osteen, I have family who live in Texas, and they bring this up as the reason why, like, they hate him. The Lakewood Church didn't open their doors in the first days of Hurricane Harvey to anyone who was displaced. I mean, 50 inches is like the equivalent of four feet. Well, you only need like a foot of moving water to be lethal and just like irreversible property damage. Right, exactly. It's truly a miracle. More people didn't die. Thousands and thousands of people across the city did not have homes to go to. And a lot of the places that like theoretically would have been like the shelter or whatever, like also was flooded. 
in his style, he wrote one of these like placating tweets that was just like, God has the best for you, even in hard times, or it was something like that. You're really seeing the mask start to fall off. It's like word salad, mystification, and vague positivity can only get you so far. But as the world gets darker, it does sort of reveal these things for the BS that they are. They didn't open the church. They issued on Saturday, which I, I don't remember exactly what day of the week, like the, the hurricane first hit, but it's like several days into kind of the crisis. Church officials issued a Facebook statement that said that the church was inaccessible due to severe flooding. There was a huge internet storm because people had photos of like the outside of the church because the church is up on a hill. So like there was no water around the church. A spokesperson for the church later said, like, I don't know why people are saying it was closed. It was never closed. They, I mean, they just were talking out of all sides of their mouth. To this day, they now open their church. They're like one of the first ones to open it in any storm, which I guess is great. But, you know, I mean, when you're thinking about like, where are the millions of dollars going the answer is it's not to the people around them. Do you think he sees generosity almost as a skinny goat mentality? Like, oh, if I'm being generous, then that suggests that there are people in need instead of people who aren't just about to receive their blessing. I mean, that that's assuming he believes any of what he's saying. That's a great question. I've been thinking a lot about our Dave Ramsey episodes. Dave Ramsey has a prosperity gospel message. You know, the same mentality of like, each individual can create their own power in a way that is so antithetical to, how I think, how God calls you to live out your faith. His, his message falls flat in so many ways, but I think the biggest way is that, like, if we could really create reality with our words, why would I be putting out, give me a promotion at work? Totally. Right? Like, if you believe that all humans are made in the image of God, put out, I want war to end, or I'm going to end genocide in this world, or end poverty and illness on a mass scale. This is like, kind of goes back to my question of like, in trying to end those things, would he say that you're admitting those things exist, which would be bad because it's negative? Do you admit that you have need or do you just focus on the greed? I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but there's something interesting there. It's a very uh, pithy saying you could start your own book with. Like, oh, I should do a bad Christian book. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think it, it ties into what we were talking about with Dave Ramsey, it's created in a way that the individual can't win. Anything that you don't receive is your fault because of lack of faith. And anything that these like gurus have, they've earned through faith. When you tie it into someone's spiritual health, that is an abuse at a level that I put among like the worst things a person can do, truly. Well, it's a little bit like that verse where it's like, it's better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and tossed into the sea than to, you know, I, th I think the context of that verse is than to discourage little ones. But I think with that is what is discouragement if not preying upon somebody's faith? 
I can understand how it could be comforting to feel like, okay, well, this actually is in my hands because I can control my faith. And that's the interesting thing to me is I think simplicity, this push for simplicity that we've seen literally in every single person we've covered for bad Christian books, beneath that desire for simplicity is a desire for control. If you believe in God, I do think the need to control that which you can't control is one of the first things you have to give up. That's easier said than done. And I certainly have compassion for the average person who struggles with that. I'm, I'm in that boat. We all try to control. <laughs> I was going to say, God's working with me on it. I'll just say that. <laughs> sure, yeah. And <laughs> I, I don't have compassion for folks who do have control and they create a false narrative for how they got it and they use it to make other people feel worthless. There's also some really wild, weird Olstein scandals that have happened. I just said Olstein with an L. Osteen. Spill the O-S-T, Mary. Yeah, so one is that, like, he and Kanye West, like, did this weird baptism slash service where they pretended they could walk on water. And there was, like, a choir in the background. I didn't realize that Joel Osteen was a um, potential keynote speaker at Donda University. But you should go look up the pictures. They're kind of weird. The second weird scandal, quote-unquote, is, like, there was a plumber working in Lakewood Church. He apparently found $600,000, like, in cash, like, stuck into the wall of the church. I heard about this. There's always money in the banana stand. Well, and I guess, again, I also didn't go very deep into this because people kept being like, why is there money? Blah, blah, blah. And like, from what I read, I think it was just like someone stole from the church and then like hid it in the wall and then like couldn't come back for it. It doesn't seem like there was anything wrong in the part of the church, except they just like had that much money in cash. But like, we know that. So I, I said earlier that we're going to come back to the meaning of God's name. Well, yeah, I mean, like, just as a refresher, um, the story is, you know, this is sort of Moses's origin story. He's fled from Egypt after killing somebody. He's a shepherd. He sees a burning bush, and the burning bush is God's presence. And it tells him to, you know, go back to Egypt, this place that you fled from, and tell them who I am. And he's like, well, who am I going to tell them you are? God's answer is simply say, tell them I am who I am. Or more accurately, I am that I am. But... Basically, this idea that I speak for myself. I am the God of gods. The Israelites that Moses would be going back to have not heard from God in 400 years. He doesn't really talk about the story except in the half-baked ways that we already talked about. So I, I was looking up the meaning of this name and, you know, digging into it a little bit. I came across this organization called the Center for Hebraic Thought what they do is they publish and support people who try to put the Bible back into the context of how the person writing it would understand it. Especially the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, because the New Testament was written by Jewish people for the most part. One of their scholars writes, To the Hebrew, to be does not just mean to exist, but to be active, to express oneself, 
inactive being. Perhaps a helpful paraphrase of God's word at the burning bush would be, say to the people of Israel, I am present, has sent me to you. I never left, essentially. Right. And then you compare it to the God that Joel Osteen promotes. They're truly opposite of each other. And you even see that in how Osteen is interpreting scripture. I mean, Gideon, his his telling of Gideon's story is the polar opposite of the actual arc of that story. It's almost like this guy has no credentials other than inheriting a job from his daddy. It was almost like an inheritance. But in doing that inheritance, there was just this complete disconnect from scripture. It makes so much sense, though, because that's how generational wealth operates. You have to keep it in the family. And if your wealth hinges upon a story, then your son and your grandson and your great-great-grandson, and I am deliberately framing it patriarchal, they need to keep telling that story. Yeah, That is this book, Joel Osteen. That's our boy. (laughs) Yeah. Next episode, we're going to dive into kind of some of the stuff we've already hinted at. Specifically, we're going to follow someone who did choose to leave and not follow the prosperity gospel movement that they were kind of raised into and what they have to say. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Stay tuned for that next episode then. I I feel like I'm Stan Lee here being like, stay tuned, loyal listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime we can get Spider-Man in an episode, we win. What's funny is I think any references to Spider-Man always get cut. So eventually we're going to be like, we keep referencing Spider-Man and the listeners are going to be like, Ah, but only to ourselves. Actually, you know, it's funny. My partner, um, when I was reading this to them, so I explained the whole like, whatever you say, I am like, that's what it is. And literally for a week straight, every morning they woke up, turned over to me and said, I am a Jedi, and then got out of bed. (laughs) I'll never join you if you only knew the power of I am. That's all to say, Samuel. Do you have any um, affirmations you want to speak into the universe? I am a highly successful writer of Christian horror. I am reaching a lot of people and they are listening to this and they are going to check it out. I'm going to speak into the world. We will get many five star reviews in the next few weeks. I am certain this is the case. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's so dumb. I'm sorry. Okay. Our social handles are at bad christian pod or bad christian books you can email us at bad at gmail.com i'm going to say one more i am mary okay but it's going to be we it's a we are okay we are the oprah of bad christian books because every two weeks you get a book and you get a book and you get a book nice and and what's more it's a deep dive I love it. Very similar to Joe Osteen, Mary was like, I have an idea about an Oprah joke. And then I immediately was like, oh, I've got it. And then I just did her idea. (laughs) Yeah, so this has been Bad Christian Books. And we'll see you for the next dumpster dive. Skitty goat. (laughs)